It was not entirely accurate to say that we don't have any first-time visitors because my parents, Nick and Jan Nichols, are here from Atlanta, so most of you have already met them. You can thank them or, or not for what they have done to you. No. In, in, in raising this guy. So yeah, <laughs> apologize to them. They might be sharing apologies with you and uh, we don't know. So uh, I'm gonna pray uh, before we get started and, um, and I believe that God always wants to speak to us when we get together and when we're uh, looking into his word and we don't want the words of a man. We but we take his word very seriously, and his word is good. That there's an, an, an instinctive feeling in our heart that we're afraid of God because deep down inside we fear that what he wants for us and what he wants to lead us into actually isn't really for our good. That's actually what we saw at the fall, with that idea right there. So could we do the opposite of that right now and turn our hearts and just say, God, speak to us because you are good. You don't tell us not to eat from that fruit of the tree because really you're just concealing something and trying to deceive us for your own good to exploit us. You actually, that's all a lie. Your actual heart for us is completely for our good. We can trust you. And when we realize that and come to him with that kind of heart, he, it makes a big cavity for him to fill with his word and... Um, and then we actually taste and see that the Lord is good. So, so let's, let's do that. Lord, we do thank you that you are so good. And you are, your, your plans, your, you have a future and a hope for us. And, and uh, your thoughts towards us are many and they are all good. Lord, we turn our hearts to you right now and say, we want to hear from you. Even like Peter, when all the rest were deserting you, we want to turn to you and say, Lord, where else could we go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. And we have come to know, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. You are the Lord, the Son of God. And we trust you with everything. We welcome your presence amongst us. We welcome everything that you would want to speak to us. We ask you now by your Holy Spirit that you would make clear to us that every person in this room would leave this place very clearly aware of what you are saying to us and to us as a church uh, body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have been going through the uh, kind of core values of the church, and uh, for those of you who don't know, we are what we would consider a church plant, which is to say, just like uh, Courtney Faraday over there has helped my wife and younger son, John David, to plant a, gar a garden in our backyard, which is the appropriate urban gardening hipster thing to do if you move into Detroit, and so we've ticked that box. And uh, when you plant something, you know, you dig a hole and you plant seed and there's not a whole lot that you can see on the outside and church plants are kind of like that. And what we're doing right now is going through something of establishing clearly in what otherwise does not have any definition or clarity to begin to say this, the, the, here's the, the, the fundamental building blocks of what this church really is all about. And so we've talked about so the centrality of Christ, um, which 
which we can't get into now, but that's the biggest for me. Everything has got to be about Jesus. It's not about church planting. It's not about prayer. It's not about worship. It's not about the Bible even. All of those things are wonderful, but at the end of the day, the whole, everything is all about Jesus. That, so now I'm preaching another message. I'll do, but, so that's, that's what this church must be about, what our hearts are about, not just this church called Border City Church, what Jason Faraday, what Paul Nichols and Kurt Ob, et cetera, what, we, what our hearts are about. But we've talked about relationship with God, relationship with one another, community, core values, um, honor. We've talked about, now I'm needing to remember some of them. <laughs> Loving our city, and we asked Jason and Courtney to, to, to preach on that. Why? Because they own something of that and have lived something of that. And that's a value of ours as a church. We're not here just for ourselves or to be served by the city. We are here as a gift to the city to love. And we did that today, right? And um, we talked about being a family on mission and making uh, followers of Jesus, developing followers of Jesus. Today, we are going to talk about another core value. And we're kind of coming to the end of the series. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about the value of church planting. And so you say, what's the point there? You are a church plant. Don't you kind of just need to get through this thing first? It's in our DNA. And I hope that uh, by the end of this, you'll catch something of that and see something more clearly of that. Um, not just the, the activity of church planting and, and doing so we have some notches on our belt and can say in three years' time that we've planted a church. No, uh, it's something that is actually incidental to being who we already are. It's actually the product of making disciples of nations and, and the commission that God's called us to do. So um, having said that, when you talk about church planting, that can mean a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people. It's a bit of a buzzword, I've noticed, in the past couple years in, in kind of the body of Christ, that it's become the cool thing to do. And uh, Minda and I have the privilege of partnering with some people who were doing it 35 years ago, way before it was the cool thing to do. Back when the cool thing was to build your empire and your kingdom and your mega church and this thing that ever, ever was getting bigger and bigger and, and uh, the idea of sending your best out to go bless another community was foreign. And, and so this church planting concept can kind of look like imperialism, you know, that we're, we're here to put our flag in the ground and, you know, we're here to save the day. And, you know, maybe Detroit has seen some of that in the past. And, and clearly we are not... Uh, of that of that persuasion, but I think perhaps what illustrates what church planting is supposed to be in the call of God is this wonderful. I don't know if it's Pixar or Disney, but clearly I'm a father of young kids. I'll blame them. I would never watch this if it weren't for them, of course. But if you have seen the church, I mean the church, the the video or the movie Moana. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, if it, again, if it's Disney or Pixar, but great, thank you, Disney apparently. Great movie, and uh, in this movie, you've got this Polynesian girl, and she's a part of a, I don't know, a tribe of, of people who we find in the movie have become refuge on an island, and they've just kind of set up shop there, and for generations they've remained there, but in their history, they were once... Uh, brave sailors, seagoers, uh, who would kind of rule over the seas. And uh, somewhere in the history, the goddess of an island, Tafiti, has had by the demigod Maui her heart 
her mystical heart stolen out. And when her heart was taken out of her chest, she morphed into something other than what she originally was, something beautiful and something wonderful, turned into a bit of a, like an evil lava-throwing beast of a thing. And uh, this girl risks her life to travel across the oceans in search of this kind of island goddess who has turned into this horrible thing in order to restore the heart. And when she encounters her, she encounters something that isn't very pretty and, and uh, certainly it, it could be a bit dangerous. And yet she bravely lays her life down to approach this, risking her own life to approach this thing. And um, so if I could ask maybe if the lights could go down, I'm going to show you this a clip of this video so you can see what I'm talking about. Church planting at its finest. Tefiti. It's gone. Let her come to me.
So, how many people are there who don't know who they are and who are hurting and have become something other than what they actually are, and God wants to put their heart back into them? And I think that puts into a whole other perspective this primary scripture that Jesus quotes at the beginning of his ministry, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And church planting is all about going across perhaps the seas, perhaps across the street, in face of people who may want to reject you, in face of people who may think evil of you and still carry with you the love of God, and even if they don't know who they are, to be able to say within your own heart, I'm not afraid. I know who you are, and I'm here to be used in any way God would lead me to bring back your heart that you would become who you are, fruitful and wonderful and beautiful, and uh, which is the end of that scripture that Jesus quoted, as you know, that they shall, those who are once described as poor, as broken, as in bondage and captivity, they will become the rebuilders of ruins, the uh, ge- desolations of many generations. That's what you and I are a part of. That's what church planting is all about. How will people be reached? And I don't just mean the economically poor. Every single person who is born is born with the reality of the heart that has been disconnected from God that only is reconnected to God through the truth, receiving the truth of the gospel. And that's not just some kind of, thank you, Jesus. And that's not just some kind of religious theory. That's practical. We heard Michael share testimony last week of having something of his trust restored and the carry-on effects of what that's meant in his life, like practical, real life. That's what we're actually involved in doing. So church planting, let's, we'll, we'll kind of share some, some thoughts throughout uh, this afternoon. But what I want to say is really just get into our story and share a little bit of our story as a local church because I think that it's important for us as we go forward to you kind of know where you're going when you know where you've been. And um, I don't know if you know this, but two-thirds of the scriptures are actually history. And that's, that's important to, to recognize uh, because there's significance in why God would have made it that way. It is important for us to know the prophetic unfolding, what I like to call the prophetic destiny of, of, you, of you in the link of the chain that your life represents to understand what God has been doing up to this point so that you can see where it is that you fit in. And so it's, it's kind of like we could go all the way back to the beginning, which obviously we don't have time, Genesis chapter 1, which you don't have time. I'd love to share with you uh, more about the history of the church over the past 2,000 years, and we're not going to be able to do that. And I'd even love to share some of the history of NCMI over the past 35 years, more locally, I mean, excuse me, more, more recently, what kind of the partnership that we have as a church and what it is that we're associated with. Not that NCMI is the thing and has a corner on all things kingdom. You understand what I mean by that? But uh, to just share something of the greater picture of what it is that we're a part of. But for today, we will simply focus in on the kind of what I feel is the, the history that led 
this church to be birthed because I think that it does speak to where it is that we're going. But I will make this one comment in the larger scheme. No matter what it is, any church, any believer, any person who is following Jesus, all of us, our destiny fits into the context of words that God spoke to Abram, the father of our faith, so many thousands of years ago. When God spoke that, the same voice that spoke the world into being was speaking into being a people that he was about to form. And through that people, of course, as you know, the Jews would come the Messiah. And through Jesus, the Messiah would be offered the, the gift of faith that people who were not a part of the Jews could come into the promise of the Jews and come into those same words that God spoke to Abram to frame what it was that he was building, what he was putting together as a people. And what are those words in Genesis chapter 12? If you want to look with me, first two verses, these words are critical. This is the beginning of God forming and calling out a people of his own. You and I stand today fulfilling Should we fulfill God's call on our lives in this generation, it will be a part of the fulfillment of these very words right here. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 says this, The Lord had said to Abram, listen to this, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Important words. Let's talk about three contexts that we find in that passage of what he was saying in the framing of his people. Just mention them, really not talk about them. One is that when he spoke his people into being, it was in the context of going and sending. Correct me if I'm wrong. Go from your country. Go from your father's household and your people. And so the, even today, in the fulfilling of this scripture and this, 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 these words that God spoke through the church, it is still one of going, it is one of being sent, it is one of mission. Dramatic effect. Actually, it was just my iPad kind of, kind of, kind of cut off there. It is the context of going and sending. Secondarily, it is the context of faith. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but he says, go from your country and your people and your father's household, but did he say where? (laughs) How many of you would like that? Yeah. To the land I will show you. That was and still remains the basis of how we walk out this call in this life is responding yes to the nudgings of God, not knowing exactly the details of how it's going to work. But you say yes, and it becomes the land that I will show you, uh, 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 commanding, what's the word I'm looking for? Requiring, thank you, requiring us to live by faith at every step. So it's one of going and sending, it's one of faith, it's the land that I will show you, And then finally, it's the context, listen to this, of blessing all peoples of the earth. And so while we absolutely want to carry with us a heart for the city of Detroit and our neighbor, and shame on us if we're thinking about those people, those kind of nebulous people out there, and don't love the neighbor right in front of us, however, God calls us in the tension of carrying 
peoples and nations on our heart. He calls us to enlarge the place of our tent, enlarge our capacity to carry that which is beyond what we even think we should carry. Am I saying that we need to plant a church tomorrow? No, I am not. We are planting a church today, and you're a part of that. That is exciting and awesome. Let it be known, though, from day one, that we want to see people raised up with a capacity of faith and strength and robustness, knowing who they are, being fruitful on this harvest field so that teams can be sent out to go further afield and take the gospel and see healing in people's lives elsewhere. We want to see that. We, we, it's not all that we live for, but it's the byproduct of healthy life. And how many of you know that in Genesis chapter 1, God created all things to reproduce after their kind? Bearing seed that would reproduce after their kind. Am I, am I right or am I theologically wonky on that one? I think I'm right. In fact, I know I'm right. If, if you don't think I'm right, then you're wrong. So everyone knows that scripture. So re- reproducing, bearing fruit after its own kind. So the, the principle there is everything God creates, and in fact who God is, bears life. It carries with it life that regenerates after its own kind. Carry that idea over into the new covenant and into the New Testament, we are recreated beings. In other words, when we receive Jesus, we become reborn. We actually have a renewed spirit inside of us, and that spirit carries with it the life of God for the sake of our lives being changed and transformed, but not that only that we as healthy disciples of Jesus would actually reproduce after our own kind, i.e. other disciples of Jesus. Make sense? So we physically reproduce after our own kind. Back there is my son Peter. People can kind of know that he's been reproduced after my own kind because he kind of looks like me. And if you look two people to the right, you see Nick Nichols over there, who I look just like and in many ways act much alike. (laughs) And so we reproduce after our own kind. Healthy things reproduce after their own kind. Healthy disciples ultimately reproduce something of what God has done in you into others. Healthy churches reproduce other healthy churches. It's not some trophy that we put on our wall and saying we planted a church. It's on the notch on our belts. None of that. It's simply what happens as a result of a healthy church. You reproduce. And we want that. How many of you want to be healthy? Good. So let's translate that over into, uh, just to kind of establish this on a theological basis, over into the, the commission that Jesus gave his church when he, right before he ascended, Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, he says, now keep in, keep in mind the words that were spoken to Abram and the parallel over to the new creation. So there was the Jewish people, and not to say that God did away with the Jews when Jesus came. We're all cool on that. But he made a new creation through Christ, a people of faith who become sons of God through faith in him have his spirit dwelling inside of them. And to those people, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, of all nations. And you catch that. Go. So first of all, how many of you know the commission that God gives us is not a sedentary one? We cannot fulfill our, our commission doing what you are doing right now. Sitting. It is one of mobilization and intentionality and going. But the context is all nations. Mark, the next gospel, Mark, go and preach the gospel to all creation. Again, an international scope. 
Luke kind of talks about some stuff, but then he writes a sequel to his gospel called the book of Acts, and there he records Jesus' words, you shall uh, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. Why is that important? From the beginning, what God spoke to Abram and then to us through the church, or as his church, has always been the context of going, it's always been a context of nations, and it's always been a context of being a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. This is the context you and I live in today. Yes, we change diapers when we have kids, and yes, we've got to balance the budget on our Excel spreadsheet, and we've got to pay taxes, and we've got to do all these things that we do in our normal routine day of life, but all of that is in the context of God has us doing that. That's what matters in this world. I've, I've heard it said that uh, if, if there's not a mission, then they should have... <laughs> can't believe I'm saying it because I think it's a stupid thing to say, but I'm too far into it now, so let's go and say it. They should have pistols at the, uh, at the altar call when you receive Jesus because if you don't have a mission, why do you even live here? Just go straight to heaven. And that actually is true. Weird way of saying it, but it's actually true. Why live if there's no mission or purpose? Let's just go be with him. But there is purpose and there is mission, and this is his purpose and mission. So having said all of that, just to share a couple of... Um, just some kind of the background story a little bit, because I think it is faith building. As I said earlier, two-thirds of the scripture are, is history, and it's important to understand our history. We understand in a macro concept what I just said about Abram and the church. But let's talk about Border City Church, not because we want to preach Border City Church. We preach Jesus, but we have been called by God, and we do have a unique history, and we're walking out the unfolding of a unique history. And I think it's faith building for us as a church family uh, to hear some of that. And uh, to be even a little bit more clear and sure-footed on what it is that God's called us to do as a local church and, and, um, and that sort of thing. So I believe that uh, for me personally, if I was to say where this kind of began, it was in 2008, September of 2008. Now, the reality is it really began in a time period called before the foundations of the earth. God knew of Border City Church. He knew of you and me. He knew of Detroit. He knew, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in my little earthly life, I found out first something in 2008, and I had no clue it even pertained to Detroit. But in 2008, I was on an exploratory trip with my wife and family to Johannesburg, or to South Africa. Many of you have kind of heard bits and pieces of that story. We were feeling a transition in our life, and uh, I felt that there was something about South Africa in our future. We should go put our feet on the ground and see what opens up. And uh, as a huge surprise to me, I felt compelled and overwhelmed with the sense of God calling us uh, as a family to South Africa. And so much so, I had to kind of pull, excuse me, Minda aside, hot dog, sorry about that, and, uh, and, and say, Minda, I, I got to tell you, I, I feel like God is calling us to South Africa. If you don't know, those aren't words that you lightly say to your spouse, um, even though she would, was delighted about it. It was not something that I was particularly even aware would, would be happening. I was overwhelmed with that sense. Anyways, it was while we were kind of, if I can put it this way, saying yes to the call that I just so happened to be going through a Bible study that led me while I was there on that same day that I was kind of saying yes in my heart to this call to South Africa that I read in the scriptures Isaiah 61. 
And those words leapt off the page like I had never seen before. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And in my, again, in my finite understanding, I'm thinking poor in Africa. And, you know, it all makes sense. Fast forward the clock, I, I would be leading a church in one of the most affluent areas, middle class Johannesburg, uh, which made zero sense to me at the time. But this is my understanding, the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, uh, to appoint to them or to comfort those in mourning Zion, to, com- uh, to appoint to them, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And these words began to leap off the page of seeing the sequence that the gospel and the spirit received by a human being Anyone who is poor, whether it's poor economically or just poor in spirit, as Jesus would say, leads, kind of is the context of what it is that we're called to do, but then we're sent on a mission to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty, and, and see people freed from things that would bind them in this earth, and ultimately that they would be appointed into their place of calling and become, as the fourth verse says, rebuild waste places, the desolations of many generations. You follow? So that set the framework of why we were called to South Africa. And I know we're talking about Paul and Minda here. I don't mean to talk about Paul and Minda, but it is in the context of God knew about this church then. Does that make sense? So we're there, 2009, we move. And uh, three years later, we, we actually, we first started with a uh, serving with the church. We weren't employed or on any kind of a pastoral role, but... We were working very closely and rec- with the pastors of the church and recognized we're preaching often and those kinds of things. New Covenant Church, Bryanston. And uh, we, on our first Sunday there, we see a couple, Patrick and Vanessa McNamara, South Africans, being released to, to go to America and begin a church plant there. If, you're, if you've just moved your, your family from America to Africa, and you go into this church that you think might be kind of a place that, where you'll anchor, and they're sending one of their pastors across the other direction, it kind of like, you know, gets your attention a bit. And then the next month, we see brought before the church, probably a church of about 650 people, a group of about 80 people, including kids, who were all being sent to another area of Johannesburg uh, to be a part of a church plant over there. Now, in the context that we were a part of, that was unheard of. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you financially do that? And they were loving it. Like, they were happy to do it. Like, in, in my context, when you see that happen, it's because there's a fence and there's a church split. This was like the exact opposite. They were sending them and praying over them and celebrating the thing. And it was the most amazing thing. And, and then over the course of time, over the number of, number of couple years after that, uh, we saw these things. And I'm not trying to tout a particular church, but I am wanting to honor, give honor where honor is due, and talk about some of the things that we've learned from, from those experiences and, and saw and what we appreciated. I saw no ceiling over people, people rising up to pursue their calling, whereas uh, many churches you sense that ceiling where you can't get past the certain control level of being released and, and people having the ceiling removed and dreaming big and hearing God for the impossible and going and doing these awesome things. I saw people being involved in the nations 
regularly. The planting of churches, helping to strengthen other churches, and working into other nations around Africa and around the world. I saw ministry that was built not on role and title, but on the premise of friendship, which changes everything. Hope that makes sense. And then I saw uh, loads of leaders rising up. So then in 2012, we had the privilege of, of uh, being ordained as the lead pastors of Santon City Church, and Isaiah 61 framed those five years of what was the vision and mission of that church. And I feel like that church in many ways has gone through healing and a bit of liberating and that kind of thing, and now are, are poised to really do some awesome things in the city of Johannesburg and beyond, and they are doing so 2013, after that, we had the privilege of joining the NCMI team. And it was in 2014 that as members of the team, we felt it would be important that we maintain a connection with what the team that we're part of are doing in the United States of America. And I had the experience of getting onto a plane to go to Chicago and uh, be a part of an NCMI event called an Equip. So as I was getting on this plane, I had the distinct sense, I often jokingly call, South Africans call it a niggly. What that means is an uncomfortable feeling. Anybody ever had that where you know something's up but you don't know what it is? You have a niggly. We'll share some, some uh, South African vocabulary here in Detroit. I had a niggly. And uh, as I was boarding that plane, I felt distinctly there's something about why I'm going to this trip that I don't know of that God does. And uh, that should make you feel excited. It made me feel scared. And I actually got into one of these mental arguments, you know, where and I found myself arguing. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't, why, what am I even arguing with? Like, I don't even know anything of that there's anything that's going to happen here. One day later, I'm in Chicago. And I'm at a pastor's day. And we're having an awesome day of fellowship. And Tyron Daniel, who's going to be here on the 11th, was, was sharing some awesome stuff. And then we end the day. And there's kind of just a period of us as pastors to worship together and a bit of the prophetic begins to flow. And a particular guy that uh, flows prophetically, Mike Hanchett, uh, called me up and, and began to say to me that he, he, he felt uh, God was saying that I'm in a transition and um, that God's going to begin to release you from the emotional ties that would keep you where you are. But over the next number of days while you're here, oh, the word started with you have your reasons for being here, but God has his, and you're in a transition. And uh, over the next seven days, God will begin to show you more clearly uh, what that's going to look like. So there I was, fully anchored in, in South Africa, was prepared to live there and thought we would live there for 30 years, if not to death. And, um, and uh, so something begins to register in my heart. I think that there's something about this. Maybe God's calling us to America again. And so I email Minda, who's back in South Africa, and tell her the nature of the word. And we obviously don't just receive, you know, we want to pray it through and make sure that we feel like God, what God is saying. And Minda replies back and says, at the exact same moment, she actually didn't say that, but we later realized literally at the exact same moment, she was in South Africa praying for my trip, and she felt while she was praying that, that God was saying this idea of maybe one day we'll be in America again just came from out there somewhere to here, and she knew that we were going to be returning to America sooner than later, and she wrote it in her journal as a testimony in case it were to come. Fair enough? 
And so we felt strongly that God was speaking about returning to America, and, uh, but we had no idea where. So you remember that thing that God says to Abram, leave your, your country and your people and, your, and, and go? And so we had already done that in moving to South Africa. We didn't know how that would unfold at all uh, when we moved to South Africa. And we certainly didn't know exactly what was going on. And we had a church to lead, and that church was not in any kind of a place when God spoke that, first started speaking that in November of 2014, it was in no place for me to even consider transitioning out and, and call myself responsible leader. So, uh, and I want to say that because I know this isn't what we're talking about, but in the course of God's unfolding of our lives, he will speak in our context what doesn't make any sense. And in fact, he'll choose to reveal his plans when they don't make sense so that it has to be by faith and you only see it make sense after the step of faith. He chooses that. That's by his design. It requires trust. And so he began to speak to us, and it made no sense at all. I mean, I'm like trying to keep this church alive, and he's talking about transitioning. And it was, we said yes, began to pray about it as a pastoral team, began to feel as, as though there's something to this. And over the course of that year, uh, the next year, 2015, I began to feel something about the city of Detroit. But I didn't tell Minda because I didn't want her to feel stirred because she had once lived in the city of Detroit and I didn't want her to get it. I, I wanted to hold it before the Lord. But later in a Skype session with an individual in this room and her husband, Michael and Jill, back there, uh, they said that they really hadn't found a church that they felt was particularly a home for them, but, but they were feeling like uh, they want to be a part of a church plant in the city of Detroit. <laughs> and so when, when they said that, my little radar goes off, and that's when I kind of knew there's probably something to this. And so Minda and I started talking about it and praying about it, and then we started talking about it with the pastoral team, and we really felt we needed to come here and uh, put our feet on the ground and didn't know at all what that would mean, what that would look like, but we need to just come. So we bought plane tickets, and the, and the vision of the trip was to put our feet on ground and walk the city. That's a pretty uh, weird mission trip, don't you agree? And so we, we did it in faith, and as we were preparing for that trip, we were praying regularly as a pastoral team over the trip, and just, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? And holding it in the fear of the Lord, you know, because these are not easy, small things, the transitioning a church and the, the leadership of a church and that kind of thing. And while we were uh, praying, we felt uh, one pastor on, on the, um, in the church felt strongly that he saw a picture of Lego pieces. Now, Stu Morgan, he's, a, he's an engineer, so he thinks engineering. And he's, he was talking about how Lego pieces are so finely engineered, so the precision is so amazing. And uh, he said he feels like we are being prepared on that side, being Johannesburg, but there are other people who are being prepared who are going to snap together with us and uh, that we're going to see God building his church. And, and there are people being prepared. And then at um, uh, the end of that year, we, we took that trip, and uh, we kind of pray, and we walk around the city, and we kind of pretend that we know what we're doing, and, you know, I don't know, what are we supposed to do? Or, you know, God, what do you think? And uh, we, we meet a pastor who had a connection with Rodney and Anita Lloyd, pastors Jerry and Joy Weinzerl. You may know of them. And... Uh, here, here. 
and we, sit, we have coffee. I, I just actually wanted to meet them because we had heard their names so many times in conjec- conjunction with, with the Lloyds and their ministry, and we knew that while we were in the city, we would want to meet this amazing couple that we keep on hearing these great things about. And so we sit down, and I just started pouring on them, like our story, and, uh, and why we were in Detroit, and what we're feeling, and up to the Lego piece thing. And at the end of that conversation, uh, Joy, Pastor Joy, says, well, can we be those Lego pieces? And starts to talk about how they have been praying about a church plant in the city of Detroit and wanting to see this thing happen. And and they they start getting excited about this thing. And they would love to partner with us. And they don't want it to be their church. Release it doesn't need to carry their name. But they just want to be a part of it. And uh, and Minda and I walked away. And, you know, we're even talking about, you know, a certain number of people possibly being sent to help plant the church. And and we kind of walked away from that conversation saying... (laughs) I think that just happened, didn't did that conversation just happen, didn't it? And so uh, it, it kind of it kind of started started there, and uh, and um, so they said before you leave Detroit, let's try to arrange a time because we really feel that there's a couple that have already moved to Detroit that you've got to meet. They've been working with the poor. They live on the east side of the city, and uh, it'd be great. And then maybe this other couple, our son and his wife. Uh, we really feel like it would be good to get you together. And so they organized this dinner over at uh, Jason and Courtney Faraday's house. Uh, sorry? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then invited uh, Melanie and Aaron Weinzerl over there. And no one, apparently, we later found out, knew why we were in the room together. So Jason and Courtney thought they were supposed to present their ministry uh, uh, at JJ's house. And, uh, and they were waiting for, like, the cue of when they're supposed to start. I'm sitting there thinking I'm supposed to share with them my vision for a church plant. And Aaron and Melanie, I don't even know what they were thinking. They're just sitting waiting, waiting for the dinner to be over. And we, we left that dinner with absolutely nothing uh, in motion whatsoever. And it's just, just left. And, uh, and then, but it's just amazing to see. <laughs> the, the very people, three couples working together uh, in, this, in this church plant. I love how those things happen. Uh, later on, there was a, a lady who's meant a great deal to Minda and I and, and the church that we used to lead, and we hope one day to have her come here, uh, very prophetically gifted, uh, humble servant of the body of Christ, amazing lady, Chanel Rousseau from South Africa. And she said, um, not knowing any of this, said that she strongly felt uh, to us that in this pursuit of Detroit, because it was still like this thing that we were feeling is going to happen, but it really wasn't materializing fully yet. And she said she felt that, she, that we, we are, are being prepared on that side, and that's what we see. But God wants you to know that there are other people on the other side that he is preparing. And when you come together, you, there will be something of a, of, a, of a synergy, and God is building this thing. It's not you, and it's not them. It's God building this thing, bringing his people together. And so uh, for, I want you to understand that from our standpoint, when we hit the ground in Detroit in October of 2016, last year, there was such a sense of faith. And the church back in Johannesburg had been praying weekly for us, for this church, and for the people that were called to reach and praying for all the details and all the everything and the carrying this thing. And there were other churches around the world even who were praying and still uh, are praying. There's one more on the Eastern Cape of South Africa who are asking me for details of how they can be praying. And uh, we, there was such a faith sense and expectation for Lego pieces. 
And, uh, and so even as we've been walking out, it's like God has strategically brought together Lego pieces. Why? Because he wants to heal the tafitis of Detroit. Do you understand what I'm saying? People who are hurt. Now, I don't know, have you ever seen a, a dog who has been abused by a human and you approach it and you want you have the best intentions for that dog? You want to heal it. You want to pet it and to give it love. But like the hair stands up on its back and it shows its teeth. And, and it's just like, I'm trying to love you, you know. People can become like that through abuse, through bad church experience. Let's be honest. Through negative things that impact upon their hearts where they actually have their hair standing up and they're when you're approaching them, wanting to see them healed. Can we carry them in our heart? Can we be rejected? Can we love beyond that? Can we be misunderstood? Uh, can we put our, our, our rights and our things down for the sake of any way of getting what God has given to us to insert it into that heart and see them come alive again because we know who you are? This is not who you are. I know your name. I like that illustration more than you do. God knows their name. And we know something of who he has made them to be. People can be mighty difficult sometimes. You and I can be mighty difficult sometimes. God knows our name and he knows who he's called us to be. And there is power that he has placed inside of you and me. The commission is this. Everything I have commanded you, teach them. Anything that you have received from your own relationship with Jesus, you have to give away. Anything that's transformed your life for good through him, you have it to give away. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in people's lives. And that is why we are here. That, my friends, is why we uh, plant churches. So in, in 2016, just to kind of wrap that up, there was a... Um, uh, continuing to pray as a pastoral team in Johannesburg, and our beloved friend Ange Angela Morgan, Stu, the engineer who's also a pastor at that church, felt like she had a prophetic picture and she saw a bridge as she was praying at this church plant. And by that point, we knew there was a plant that was going to happen in Detroit and the church was behind it and all that. But she felt like she saw this picture of a bridge. And on this bridge, it stretched from, from Johannesburg on the one side to Detroit on the other. And resource and people and purpose traveling back and forth. Uh, the building over here helping the building over there and vice versa. And, um, and so that became this thing that we just all kind of agreed about. That that was something of God's purpose. That this isn't just like a random plant Paul and Minda out there. And, you know, thanks for the memories. Cheers. You know, good riddance and goodbye. We hope not, anyway. Uh, but that there's actually something of divine purpose, a connection, a continuance, if I can say it that way. And um, relationship, an ongoing uh, connection and purpose together. And so uh, we began to pray through that and, and carry that and see that as some of the purpose of this plant. In June of last year, Minda and I were in Denver, another equip, and we were praying with a precious couple, Russ and Mary Doty, kind of... Um, kind of uh, old guns on the NCMI team who've been around the block a few times. 
and uh, great people, and they were praying, and he had just preached this amazing message about planting, churchy planting, and we were so stirred, and the four of us, me and Minda and, and Russ and Mary, were standing there together, and we wound up kind of hugging each other, and, and there were tears, and it wasn't like just an emotional thing. It was we were so impacted by the reality of what God was saying in that moment and doing in our hearts, and we just asked him to pray for us as people who have been there before, who have planted and have gone before and pray for us. And she began to pray, and, and she, as she's praying— she says, I just feel like, and she knew nothing, nothing about this whole thing that I just explained to you. She said, I just feel like I see this bridge, and it's going between Johannesburg and Detroit. And, uh, and there's like, you know, just people passing back and forth, and Minda <laughs> and I were just like, that is amazing. And so, uh, so having said this thing of this bridge, catch this, on the day that we need to announce to the church who at that point did not know uh, that we were going to be transitioning. And, and that's a big thing when there's a leadership transition. If you've been around a leader for five, ten years or whatever, for us it was five years, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotional thing when a leader is saying we're being sent and all those emotions need to be worked through. It's a big thing. and You want to handle that very carefully. And so on the day that we had to announce that um, we were going to be transitioning, and this other couple, this other guy, Anton and Ange Cater, were going to be uh, coming in and, 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 and tra- handing over to them. Because of the, the timing of the announcement in the church that they were a part of, when we could do the announcement on, in our church based on when they would do their announcement, because it was important for us to do it first, and because they were in the same city, and we didn't want word getting out, and our people hearing through the grapevine— it happened that May 13th, 2015, had to be the Sunday that we would launch. Si- what? 2016. Sorry, yeah, 2016. And that just so happened to be the day that a group of 13 people from Grace Christian Church in uh, Detroit or Sterling Heights happened to be coming through Detroit and would be with us, uh, through Johannesburg, and would be with us. So in that moment, without our orchestration, as the church is finding out and hearing the story about this church plant in Detroit and that we're going to be sent there, there are 13 people from the church that they just heard about who went to partner with us there, and those people are hearing about it for the first time as well. <laughs> and so this concept of a bridge gapping between Johannesburg and Detroit, uh, or Africa and Detroit, being, su- being an uh, Im- important thing, I think, that God wanted to emphasize. And of course, as we're praying through, some of you know Ra- Rochelle and Randall Gerritsen, who are doing work, uh, incredible work in Bukavu, Eastern DRC, uh, that I believe that we will be involved in, and we're giving some of our tithe as a church to help finance what they're doing as well. Um, they also came through, and we had the privilege as a church to pray over them and be a part of them passing through a few weeks later. And so all of a sudden, this connection between Detroit and uh, Johannesburg just materialized in front of all of our eyes. You, my friends, are a part of that. So it's not that this is all about Africa. Now, we're here in Detroit. We need to carry Detroit, but there is a link between us and Africa that's part of what this church is called to do. How many of you are cool with that? So... Keys, I think, from that, from that whole story and that whole idea. Isaiah 61, what God began to stir in my heart as I was there in Cape Town, hearing this thing about God, feeling this compelling idea that God was sending us. Actually, I was in Johannesburg. Uh, that God was sending us to South Africa, and he spoke Isaiah 61. 
And when he spoke that, I thought it had to do with South Africa, and it did. But God sees the, the whole picture. And he knew that there was a city called Detroit that literally was seeing ruins. And it was literally going through ruins. And that actually, for us, our time through South Africa would be simply preparation for us to be more useful, hopefully in the context of Detroit, and have linkage and partnership back with South Africa. And I believe during that time he was preparing you people, some of you. He was. Uh, to be a part of this thing that he's putting together. And even what I'm saying right now is only an infinitesimal, small, infinitesimally small part of the whole picture. We'll see much more clear vision 15 years from now. But we do know the things that we do know, and we do know this, that God is in this. And that's the exciting thing. I can be inspired when I know that God is in it. And he's in it to rebuild ruins. And that has more than real, to do with real estate. That is people's lives beginning with the heart. People can know the love of God. That's what that's all about. Know what that means about how God feels about them. That changes your heart and your ability to relate to God with a heart of trust and follow him. And as you follow him, you find liberating, you find your purpose, and you find yourself giving away to others what he's given to you. That, my friends, has to do with church planting. That has to do with nations. I think that what interwoven in this story is nations backwards, forwards, right upside down and around and nations. Any of you cool to go to the nations? Be involved to carry the nations, allow God to send you to nations? That has to do with Lego pieces of God preparing people, and it has to do with, I think, a bridge to Africa. Why do we plant churches? And I'll just close with this last idea is that according to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the, God, the planting of churches and actually the whole purpose of God, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, right? Kingdom is all about the domain of the king, the king's domain, kingdom, okay? The gospel that we preach is not just some religious story or some religious theory. It is to issue the will of God from heaven into people's lives, right? It's the gospel of the kingdom. The, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the gospel of the kingdom, and the way that the kingdom of God transfers through people is through this thing of making develop, developing followers of Jesus, making disciples, giving everything that he's given to us to other people, right? The context that that happens in is local church, that God has a design. The same God who had designed for the ark, who had designed for the, ark, the tent of meeting, who had designed very specific instructions for the building of the temple, has design for the church. And you and I cannot arbitrarily choose how we want to do church. There is a way, and yet it is free and it's open, but there are principles of how church is to be governed and how it works. And that is what we're going to get into next week about this making, developing followers of Jesus, church planting, how, the value of how, some of the, the foundations of how church is to operate to be all of what it's called to be. Cool? So that the kingdom of God can get through. So let's pray, and, uh, and we'll be released. Is that cool? Awesome. I think that... Uh, it would be an appropriate way to respond to God just to recognize how his hand has been behind this. And some of us in this room 
might perhaps feel that you were called as Lego pieces, if I can say it that way. And um, I think that, that an appropriate way of responding would just be to, to recognize the solemnity of that. The, I don't want to use maybe even the word gravity, that God is behind this. And um, again, I think an appropriate way to respond, if that's the case, is just to throw our, our heart open wide to say, God, if you have uh, brought me to be a part of this, I want to be all in. I want to throw my heart and myself in, not into a church plant per se, into you and what you're building and into these people and into the people that we're called to reach. So, Father, we do just do that. We present ourselves, spirit, soul, and body. We present our whole selves. We present ourselves as uh, sacrifices to you. you. You tell us to do that. It's, it's how we worship you. It's how we serve you. Lord, we want to thank you that you don't just require us to prove ourselves to you by being disciplined to a bunch of spiritual ways of worship. You actually just want our heart. You don't ask us to prove to be ourselves to be rigorous in our spiritual devotions, and, and you, you just are looking for our heart, and we do present ourselves to you as sacrifices to you. And Lord, we, we want to say, let your kingdom come here on earth through our lives as it is in heaven. Lord, if you are leading us into this thing that you are building, we want to be in. Lord, we want to say yes to what you are doing. We want to open up our hearts wide and we ask you to speak to us, to begin to reveal to us our part, begin to reveal to us our next steps. We, wanna, we thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and that is a light to our path, illuminating maybe not the whole of the journey, but at least the steps immediately in front of us. And so we ask you for your word to be that, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We give our hearts unreservedly to you, King Jesus. Lead us into the unfolding of what you have been building and putting together let it and let it bring glory to your name in the city and let it bring healing and re reparation to lives and let there be a testimony in people's lives of how awesome and truly good you are we pray that it would be like a virus that it would be like a like a uh, a virus of the kingdom spreading without control into many people's lives as the, the truth of who you truly are and how you really are is experienced and spread through the testimonies of changed lives, God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. What's that? Yeah, and I, I did want to just say this. I know I said we, that we would close and, and be released, but let me just say this because I meant to read this at the beginning. This vision statement, which... Uh, which, which can be, if, uh, if you want, you can put it up. I just want to read this because I think it's very important. We are, because again, we're establishing identity, a local community of Jesus followers, a family on mission to see healing and rebuilding in the people of Detroit and beyond our borders.